Hello again, friends, and welcome to the Young Anglicans podcast. The Young Anglicans podcast is a place for conversation and discussion about ministry to teenagers through the lens of Anglicanism. It's hosted by me, Andrew Unger, and me, Eric Overholt. We're both real-life Anglican youth pastors who want to see young people find and follow Jesus for the rest of their lives. We're glad you're with us. And today, we also have with us uh, John Mark Smith from Nashville. John Mark, why don't you say hi to the good folks out there in podcast land? Awesome. Uh, Great to be here with you guys. So, John Mark, uh, which church are you at? I don't even know the name of it, which makes me a bad host already. Yeah, I'm at Church of the Redeemer in Nashville, Tennessee. Um, it's an Anglican church, been around for about 13 years now. Um, our uh, rector, Thomas McKenzie, some of you may know, he's written a book called The Anglican Way that's um, a really helpful introduction to Anglicanism. So I often get going around in different circles, and I tell people where I'm at, and they're like, oh, is that Thomas's church? And I say, yep. <laughs> so I'm at Thomas's yes, church. I think I know that book so well because he also gave it away for free. So it's like, hey, that's that guy who wrote that free book that I got that was really helpful. I didn't pay for my copy. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, my gosh. Well, we have John Mark here because um, he has uh, some experience in going from zero to not zero volunteers. And uh, it seems like one of the biggest challenges in youth ministry is uh, recruiting people to actually do the work and get involved. So, um, John Mark, why don't you tell us a little bit about how that happened, your story, starting a Church of the Redeemer, stuff like that. Awesome. Thanks so much. Well, uh, it's been a privilege uh, and honor to to be working with youth, and it's been a passion of mine for, I started, my first youth ministry job was the summer after college. So I've been doing it for longer than I want to admit, (laughs) but about 12 years. And one of the things that I was convinced pretty early on is that it's not something I can do by myself. Um, that youth ministry to be effective really takes more than one person. Uh, occasionally, you'll you'll see, or, or I think we've all seen examples of that one like super dynamic person that seems to have it all together. But truthfully, I don't think they actually have it together as they seem. And some of the students don't connect with them um, the same way. So we need this team. And so I've always been convinced that both for my own sake, I need other people giving me input, but also for our students' sake. Um, that we need other adults and leaders involved. I just recently was talking with some of our students, and it's interesting because we'll talk, we we're talking about um, one of my leaders, and one of the students was uh, so excited about this leader and loved him. And then the other one was just like, yeah, I don't like them at all. <laughs> Not, and they weren't like dismissive in a, like a really negative way, but they were just like, yeah, I don't connect with them. And that's one of the realities that I I feel very aware of, is that we have youth in our church that connect with certain types of people and some youth that don't and I'm a certain type of person so yeah. some will connect with me and some won't so I've always really wanted to have a strong vibrant team and that also really excites me because I like collaborative work much better than sitting by myself in the office my least favorite days of work have always been the ones where it's just me it's in the office planning stuff by myself mm-hmm. writing you know a sermon or like planning curriculum I mean I enjoy those things but I love being with people. So volunteers provide a team that you can collaborate with. So I've always been really passionate about that. When I came to Church of the Redeemer uh, almost two years ago now, 
there obviously there was a youth pastor transition and there was an existing team in place, but it was uh, a husband and wife team who had really loved the students well, but they had been very close to the previous youth pastor as is common. And so um, thankfully they stuck around when I arrived and, and stayed with the ministry, but um, both of them were kind of at a phase of life where I think that even if, if I hadn't been new, they were thinking about other things and God was kind of giving them um, different interests and where they were expanding their horizons. So um, over the course of that first six months I was here, both of them ended up down. So um, I had lost the, the, the team mm-hmm. that I, I had. And so for me, this was a challenge and a problem because I really believe in the importance of volunteers. And I was, uh, I was, I was being hired. I was telling them, look, what I'm going to do is invest in adult leaders to invest in students. I was selling that vision really hard. And I was saying that what I want to do is create a sustainable ministry that even if I leave, whether that's, I would say, whether it's, you know, two months or 20 years from now, that when I leave, there are adults here who know and love your kids. Mm-hmm. So that was a that was my selling point. That was my vision for what we were doing, and that's based on a, you know, not only the things we've already talked about, but my my conviction that a godly adults who invest in students is one of, if not the most significant reason that a student will stay faithful to Jesus in the long term in their yeah. life. So, so I was like, what do I do? Um, and it was around October of my first year, and I was praying, and it was one of those prayers where it's like that that combination of excitement enthusiasm but also a little desperation mm-hmm. yep i prayed that prayer a lot yeah <laughs> and i was like okay god i love what we're i love this church i love what i'm doing i love the people but i kind of don't know what's what i should be doing and how to make that happen and it was god gave me a an image or a kind of in prayer that just really stuck with me and it was this image of concrete being laid for a foundation which is not something I know a lot about. But it so happened that in God's timing, there was a guy in our church relaying the foundation to his house that week. <laughs> Actually, he goes, Bill, can I come over and just watch <laughs> the foundation to your house? Um, because it's a long, his story is a long one, but they were relaying this foundation. So I went over and watched them pour concrete, which I had never seen before. And when that stuff comes out, it is like slop. It is wet. And kind of gross looking and, it, and you're like how's that ever going to hold anything up and then you pour it there and then you, you're like these guys are like this tube and they're dumping it in and then someone else is like pushing it around and then someone else is Messy. smoothing it out on the top and but it it, it kind of looks like something you know like it's quicksand you step in and you would just sink right through mm-hmm. and obviously you wait you just pour that concrete foundation and you just wait wait for it to solidify you wait for it to get strong and then once that's happened it can hold up the house. And that was the image God gave me, was that the work we were doing was work of laying a foundation and that we were going to pray into that foundation and then we were going to wait for it to strengthen. Hmm. Super frustrating to me. <laughs> I am like most youth pastors. I think I love my students and I really want to impact their lives for Jesus. So I want to do something. Mm-hmm. I want to make it happen. And this was more like God saying, no, we're going to wait and we're going to lay a foundation. And we're gonna, it's going to be hard because I want to I want to be like, let's fine-tune the interior decoration. We don't even have framing. <laughs> <laughs> and really what that foundation for was with me was the volunteer team because that was essential to my view of ministry. Hmm. And so what happened over the course, and what I like to say is, 
when I started, I had one and a half volunteers because there was this husband-wife team. The husband was already, he was on sabbatical to start, so one and a half when I started. And at the end of my first year, we did a volunteer leader celebration where we celebrated everyone who just been investing in youth that year. It was in May, and we had 17 people there. Um, and so that, I was like, that was, that was, praise the Lord. I was just so thrilled. And that's when I looked back and said, that was the foundation God was building. He was laying a foundation of, of men and women who were going to love, who love him and who love students who would invest in them. Uh, it was hard at times because I really wanted to be like doing more programming or more ministry or more events or seeing more, you know, pastoral things happening in students' lives that, to be honest, for that first year didn't happen a lot. Mm-hmm. What we did do is we built this team. Um, and now I'm at a place where after the second year, you know, because there's always that constant need to refresh volunteers when they move away or get called to something else. But the I, I now I feel like it's it's almost like this team builds itself now because I don't have to say as much. I can just say, look, don't you want to come ha- hang out with Nikki? Because she's awesome. <laughs> and people are like, yeah, I do want to hang out with Nikki. You know? So um, it's, it's become this thing where that foundation really is something that we build upon. Um, and this year, then, we kind of continued that ministry and said, okay, what are we doing this year? And I've, I've told volunteers and, and parents and those who asked that, you know, we built a foundation last year, and this year we're framing a house. And so we've been spending this year framing a house. We kind of restructured our programming and restructured what we were doing. But it's still the frame of a house. You know, we haven't put up all the walls or done the plumbing. Definitely haven't done, you know, we haven't cut, picked colors for the walls yet, you know. We framed a house, but it's been really exciting to see how that is happening, uh, ultimately on the foundation of Jesus, but through on the foundation of this volunteer team that he's provided, and um, it's been really exciting. So, you know, there's a lot of things that I still have those desperate prayers for, like, God, I don't know what you're going to do here and what I should be doing, but the one that now I, my prayer is is mostly that prayer of, I, I, I sent an email to my volunteer team uh, which I try and do regularly. Some weeks I'm better at than others. And I sent them an email and I said, look, you know, Paul says that every time he remembers, he thinks thinks of um, you, he thanks God. And I was like, that's the, the verse I always understood intellectually, but you guys have helped me understand what he means. Because mm-hmm. every time I think of you, I'm thankful. And that's really been true, is that the volunteer team has become one of my greatest sources of gratitude. In, in ministry here at Redeem Ourself. They're, they're an amazing group of people. That's awesome. John Mark, can I, can I put a pause on, on what you're saying here and just ask you to give us a little more context? Like, tell us a little more about Church of the Redeemer. It's been around for, I think, eight years, you said. Like, how big a church is it? How many kids do you have that you would be serving in a youth group? Just give us some more of those, those kind of details. Yeah, Church of the Redeemer is 13 years old. Um, and it, it is a church that was founded by a, a group of members from a, a, a vibrant local Episcopal church, which, as we all are probably familiar with, around 13 years ago, there was a lot going on. Mm-hmm. So there was a group that just said, you know, we really feel like we need to start a, a new church. Um, so, uh, and Thomas, our current rector, was the, the rector who fa- founded the church, so he's been here the whole time. We're located in kind of... Um, in Berry Hill, which is a neighborhood in Nashville, and one of the interesting things is we do pull people from all over. I mean, I got students and families coming from 40 minutes south to uh, 40 minute 
uh, not quite 40, 35 minutes north. Hmm. So we're kind of a central hub that pulls in. Uh, we have about 350 to 380 people per week, uh, Sunday morning service. Well, we have two services. Our youth ministry, um, That one of the things we're growing is that participation in youth ministry. We have about 45 students that are associated with the church, but most of them have not been engaged with the youth ministry. Okay. So I, when I inherited the youth group, attendance was quite small. I mean, our, they had, we had a weekly program, and I, you know, I think we might have had six at a, at hmm. a time. Um, now, and then we had a Sunday morning Bible study during second service, which we're trying to work. I'm trying to work that out. <laughs> that's that's another conversation for another podcast. But um, so we have, you know, anywhere we had about we have about ten, had about ten that were coming to that. But the interesting thing is when you looked at how many were participating, the numbers were much higher, but their regularity was very low. So actually, I remember having a conversation with Andrew last year and just asking him about his experience and how, you know, I, our group, our groups are different, but, you know, he, his, what I was really interested in is the percentage of students that go to the church that participated. Mm-hmm. I think because, because we're a larger church, there was like some element to which we were similar numbers on some of our stuff, but Andrew was getting like, I forget the numbers, Andrew, but you can correct me. I mean, like 95% of the kids that could be there were coming. I'm like, I'm just like 10 to 15. So, uh, so that's one of the things we've been working on. And there's some unique challenges there. Nashville has a unique culture. The, the geography of our youth ministry makes it very hard. Midweek programming is very difficult because people don't want to drive 45 minutes, come to stuff. Um, but then also, Redeemer has a, a unique culture of uh, being a place that's set apart. We're in Music City, which is yeah. a wonderful city. Nashville is awesome, but there's a, an interesting culture here among churches that I've observed where there's lots of um, production values put into church. Hmm. It's, this is where I mean, you can I can we can throw a stone and hit you know 15 Christian music artists. So um, Redeemer, on the other hand, has a, a much different, less produced feel. And so we draw in a lot of people who aren't necessarily saying, I want to be Anglican. Um, they're attracted to Anglicanism and the liturgy, but they're also attracted to a place where the production is not putting musicians center stage and having loud music and, you know, rolling fog machines and lights. But, you know, it's, it's worship is not uh, unimportant, but it's not this center stage overproduced experience. Yeah. You know, and more communal and more organic is a word that people at Redeemer really love to talk about. So and that's a little bit about our context, Eric. I don't know if that, that tells no, you everything no, you want that's great. That's great. One more, one more quick question. Uh, your role is full-time as youth pastor? I am not full-time currently. Okay. I am a part-time, uh, two-thirds time youth pastor. Okay. And that, that means middle school and high school? I have middle school and high school uh, we do sixth through twelfth grade here in Nashville. The public schools do a weird thing where fifth grade counts as middle school, Ooh. and I said, "Nope, I'm not doing that." <laughs> I could stay with the elementary age kids, and uh, I did take sixth grade though because um, I I come from a background where sixth grade were involved in youth ministry, and it really helped my my numbers to have them involved. And there wasn't much happening for them, so I I absorbed them in and. Um, it's been great. We've had a great experience with them this year. So we are 6th to 12th grade. Our youth group generally currently is more on the younger side. So I have a lot between 6th and 8th and grade and then just a handful in the high school. Okay. So 
I'm interested because um, we both we both served. Um, I don't know. Were, were you in Res's youth ministry at the same time I was? Were we serving at the same time at Res? What years were you serving there, Andrew? So I was serving from like '04 till '07. Okay, so I was on staff there when you were serving, but I wouldn't have been a volunteer. Okay, um, I didn't start volunteering until maybe '09. Okay, um, so it, it's interesting. A couple of things that I picked up from my time there that I'm hearing you. Um, reiterate that I actually really like is um, one is that community of volunteers um, I'd be interested to hear a little bit about how you kind of fostered a community among the volunteers because I really loved when I was at res I looked forward to hanging out with the other adults and in fact I remember Keith Hartzell had to sometimes tell us like talk to the students sometimes because we just we all love students it's just that we also loved hanging out with each other so much that like I mean we we would hang out after youth group getting drinks like all the time like that was a very regular thing to hang out with the other youth volunteers because we liked each other so much um the other thing is i remember um the a push for like high concentration of leaders i think i think keith basically would say for some reason this stuck with me now like over a decade later it was like if there's as long as it doesn't get any more saturated than like a two to one student to leader ratio, you're just fine. So as long as you have two students for every leader, um, that's still not too many leaders. Um, and there's an initial feeling of like, wow, that's way too many adults in the room. Um, but I really, in my yeah. own ministry, and even then, I remember really loving having this saturation. I think because you just had lots of adults pouring in. Um, and Kara Powell has said... Um, I think in Sticky Faith, she said, what if we took the, the five to one rule and flipped it around where every student knew five adults who cared about them? Um, so I don't know. How have you seen those two things manifest? How have you fostered community and things like that? Well, I, I agree. I think there a lot of the things that I learned and came from my experiences at Church of the Resurrection, and I'm really grateful for that. Uh, Keith Hartzler, who was the youth pastor when you were a volunteer and then later when I was there as well, you know, had the what the strengths finder calls the gift of woo, winning others hmm. over, and so, um, and we used to joke that you know the way he did that was just by not taking no for an answer. Yeah. So it's it like we're gonna go get drinks. Are you coming? Okay, no, you're coming. No, no, I, you're coming. Like, yeah. <laughs> I don't have that particular gift, so I've not I've done it very differently. Um, part of how I've done it, and is is by who I recruit. I like I want to get the people that are great people. Um, I, I believe that I've never seen a vibrant, thriving youth ministry anywhere. And I'm sure it exists. I've just never seen it. But I've never personally seen one where it's a vibrant youth ministry, but the adults who do the ministry don't like being together. Hmm. If, you know, I've never seen that happen where it's like these adults clearly are disinterested at best, but the ministry is thriving. I, it just seems like there's a disconnect there. So... That's something that's really important to me. I foster that in more. I'm a more intentional like person in the way I do it. So I create events, hmm. and um, so we do regular events. Um, I I am blessed that the church has given me resources to connect with volunteers and um, financially make that possible. So I do a lot of intentional investment in them. I, we do meals together where I will make sure I pay for all of them to have a meal together, mm-hmm. lot of stuff like that. Um, this year we did a volunteer retreat that's become the bedrock and core 
of our volunteer team experiences that in August before the schools, well, here in Nashville, it's right as school starts, but before our ministry year starts, mm-hmm. every volunteer goes on this retreat, which is a combination of um, spiritual care and personal um, growth, uh, fun activities, and then vision casting for the year. And so that event has become essential to being on that team. And it, it's a great because you get away. Last year we went to um, uh, about two hours away up in, in the mountains of eastern Tennessee and um, Mont Eagle area and hung out. And then we went on a hike on the Fiery Gizzard. And it was a blast. And, you know, stuff like that gives us volunteers a chance to really spend time together and get to know each other. Um, which is, and, and it is well serving a lot of other purposes. But I, I would say... I don't have I don't have any great advice on how I foster that except that we'll, we'll talk, hopefully talk get to this later. It's it's just the quality of the people I get is that they're great people, and so I they are awesome to hang out with. So who wouldn't want to hang out with? Them? I do do events like I've done. Um, I invite them to game nights and stuff that I host here at my house because I love playing board games and um, stuff like that. Um, going to movies, I invite them to do that. I this is not necessarily about volunteers, but my view of ministry has always been that at the heart of ministry is, is invitation and that everybody wants to be invited in and that ultimately that's actually what God does with us hmm. is God invites us into his family and that the deep yearning of the human heart is to be known and loved and invited in and so I think part of what I try to do is model inviting adult leaders into our life I've had them over for dinner at our house um, hang out usually it's just some whatever not fancy meal I'm making for the kids that night. I'm like, why don't you come over and share that with us? Um, but that to me is at the heart of ministry. And then I'm, I'm trying to do that with my leaders and then encourage them to do that with our students. So how do you, um, I think, I think you, you'd want to talk about this anyways, but like, that's a lot of high bar. Like there's a part of me that feels like I would love to do a weekend retreat with my leaders. Um, and many of them would say, I'm sorry, Andrew, like, I just can't give you a weekend. Um, I have a hard time getting my weekly leaders to also have time to do like a, a movie night or something like that for the students. Um, I often have my fun events are staffed by like me and only me, um, just because I've got these leaders who are committed to weekly programs already. And so to ask them, like, give up two nights of your week um, feels like a big sell. Um, yeah. So sure. know, how do you how do you deal with that sort of high bar question? Yeah, and so that's actually one of my principles for recruiting volunteers that I I am very passionate about is I think that we actually need to raise expectations for volunteers. Um, the the pressure that I feel I think that most of us in youth ministry feel when you're trying to recruit somebody is like oh I don't want to ask them for too much mm-hmm. or because uh, I know they're busy. Um, but I think that it's very counterintuitive, but the most effective way to recruit volunteers is to raise expectations, to re- set that bar higher. Because, um, and I'm blatantly stealing this from, from mentors and people who invested in me, but people want to feel lo- like they're part of something that matters. So when I come to, to someone and say, Andrew, I got this cool opportunity for you, but don't worry, it won't take much of your time. It's, it's just going to be this minimal commitment. It's going to be really easy. Here's why, uh, and I think you should join us what I've sort of communicated inadvertently is this is not worth your time, right? Mm-hmm. Because my first selling point was it's not going to take your time. And instead, when I come to you and say, hey, Andrew, 
here's what's going on in Redeemer Student Ministries, and this is where we see God at work. And here's where I see God has given you gifts and talents and where you could be a part of this. And here's what it would take. And I set that bar high and say, this is what it means to be on this team. What I'm saying to you is there's something meaningful going on here that you have a gift and it will cost you something to join. And while for some people that will be logistically impossible, mm-hmm. what it is saying is this is worth your time to commit. And so I just believe and I've seen over time that that pays off. Um, so one time I've been doing youth ministry, like I said, for 12 years in different formats. I've been a volunteer. I've done parachurch, evangelistic parachurch, and church kind of volunteers in different aspects. Different aspects. And I remember one volunteer one time reaching out um, and letting me know when they were going to transition. And he said that he just really wanted to leave, finish and move on to something else because he had always wanted to be enjoyed youth ministry because, quote, it just didn't require that much. Hmm. Mm. And I got that message and I didn't respond to that part of his message, uh, but I got that message and I just thought, yeah, this is why we're, we're not a good fit. Um, this is not a good fit for you because you can't change students' lives if what you're looking for is low involvement. Mm. Now, there are some people who don't have a large time, and I will say that I do have kind of like some sub-teams where like this is a low time commitment team, but those are not the student-facing ministries. Because hmm. you can't invest in students' lives once a month for an hour and expect to have any meaningful impact. Yeah. Oh, so, you know, we have behind the scenes and logistics and things. But when I go to a volunteer, I say, you're gifted, and here's my expectations. Um, and they're pretty high. Um, so things I expect my volunteers to do is attend our events, uh, our, our student nights, um, and our leader events. So those three things. And then in addition, if they would like to, then we have like the next level leader who would also like to join our mentoring program where they would meet individually with a student outside of all that other stuff. So you don't have to do that. That's an additional step. But is so, that is that then – I'm sorry. Go ahead, Andrew. No, I was just going to ask. Are your um, – so all of your mentors also have to be part of your weekly programs as well. Is that no, right? No, no, no. The mentor program is sort of the separate program. Okay. The part of RSM, Redeemer Student Ministries, but we don't – I mean, I just can't physically have everyone involved because we'd be we'd have too many adults in our <laughs> programs. And if every student who's got a mentor and the mentors were coming to all of our programs, we would have we would be breaking that even that two to one rule. It'd be yeah. like more adults than youth. Yeah. Um, that's, um, my dream, vision, and goal is to have every single youth in our church connected with a mentor. Um, so, yeah, I think raising expectations it seems counterintuitive, but it and it, it always reminds me of. Um, uh, when I was in college, I read a book um, for, by Max Dupree. I don't know if you guys are familiar with Max Dupree. He was an early leadership author. He was He's a Christian guy, ran a, a large, um, very successful company. And he tells the story of being in his church and how essentially um, there was this small group of middle school boys, I believe it was. Maybe it was uh, late elementary, but this rowdy group of boys. And the church had gone through different leaders for this group of boys. And none of them could hack it, like, couldn't make a difference they kept quitting and and the story is essentially that um there was this hesitation well we can't max we can't ask mask he's so busy i mean he's the ceo of this huge company he's never going to do it but what ended up happening was they went to him and said look here's the deal we have this group that nobody else can do anything with can you 
maybe do it. And I think that was more out of desperation than a strategy. They just were like, can yeah. you help? And actually for Max, he said that was what interested him, was that there was a challenge there, right? That this was something that other people couldn't do and that appealed to him and that he wanted to be a part of that. And I think the assumption that the best way to get volunteers is to lower the standards um, is more often motivated by our own insecurity than actually what is attractive to the volunteer we're recruiting. Is that I don't want to ask you for more than you'll commit. Now, I'm a big believer in expectations. Um, so we raise the expectations when we recruit. What's much harder to do is when you have a volunteer already to try to raise those expectations. Mm-hmm. Already in, they have a rhythm. It wasn't a part of how that would work. And in that situation, my advice is really simple. And I do this every year. Is I tell my volunteers, look, here's the deal. You're in for a year, and in the spring, we'll touch base and see if you're coming back. And part of that spring conversation is always an adjustment of, like, this is what we're going to be doing next year. And so with part of that is to say, well, this is really what I need for you. So in my second year, what I had to say was part of being a volunteer is that you got to come to this retreat. And I, I think what I said to them, a couple of them was, I realize it's a lot to ask, but it's a really important thing. If you can't make it to anything else, this is what I need you to make it to. Like if you can't make any of our leader lunches, if you can't make any of the other leader events, I need you at this one. And so um, now truthfully, there was a lead, uh, one leader that couldn't make it um, due to logistical conflicts. I did not fire them on the spot. Hmm. <laughs> um, but we had leaders who made it, and I believe in a large part it was because they knew that was an expectation from the beginning was clearly communicated and even though it might have been inconvenient it also communicated value and importance Mm -hmm. so i i would just encourage those that want to recruit i think that's actually a principle for recruiting volunteers um if you want to grow your team as counterintuitive as it is you need to raise the ball you actually ask more from them so that people are joining a team where they feel like what they're doing matters now have lots of grace when someone shows up because they're going to uh, forget to come to something once in a while or hopefully they will let you know in advance. But <laughs> it's not about having a, you know, a legalistic hardline approach but saying this is what I'm expecting you to. And when people aren't living up to that, the answer is not get angry but have a conversation with them. I've done this with a volunteer where I say, hey, so you know, I've noticed that you've missed X number of times out of – X, Y number of times. That's and that. Tell me what's going on with that. And I just ask that question. And it's great because if you can get them to the point where they realize it themselves, that's way more effective than me just telling them you need to come more often. Um, but yeah, I think raising expectations communicates importance and value that the volunteers will be attracted to. So that's kind of how I I think that. At the same time, I, one of my other principles is we have to be patient in recruiting. So. One of the other motivations for lowering expectations is that I just need people. Um, I just need to have somebody there, and I don't have anybody, so I just got to get anybody. I felt that pressure, especially when my original team at Redeemer both stepped down. I was like, I need some people. We went through a whole year where the rest of that year I didn't have a single female leader. Hmm. I'm sitting there as a pastor. I'm like, there are girls in our church who desperately need some pastoring, and it needs to be from a woman because of the issues they're dealing with. And that was really difficult for me. And there was a part of me that was just like, I just want to grab anyone I can and throw them in there so there's something. But I had uh, partly, I would say, out of intentional wisdom and partly out of the fact that nothing else I did work, but being patient and waiting for God to bring the right people is key. Uh, And I think that's another 
principle in building that team is not settling for the wrong people. Um, I I don't have that experience currently, but I've been on volunteer teams in the past where you could tell there was like one or two bad apples in the bunch. And um, if anyone else has had that experience of being on a team as a volunteer or as the leader of that team, you know that that saying about the bad apples uh, ruining the barrel is 100% true. Um, so it's more important to wait and get the right people than it is to um, get somebody in the seat. And so um, I think one of the keys to recruiting a volunteer team is patience for who God wants to bring. And so I, I spent nine years of my life working in higher education and marketing recruitment. And so I know all these tricks for recruiting people that you're supposed to use. But when I volunteer recruit, I never use them. <laughs> I even tell them, look, all the research says what I should do right now is ask for you a commitment from you right now. Like, would you like to join? Like that, you, you strike while the iron's hot, right? You don't let them. But I'll just tell my team that I'm recruiting. Like when I go to lunch with someone or grab coffee, I'll say, so here's what we're doing answer your questions, do all of that conversation. And I'll say, I, what I am asking you to do is go home and pray about this and think about it and come back to let me know what questions you have and we'll touch base again. Um, now, practically, I will advise that it's more helpful to be proactive and reach out to them than wait for them to reach out to you. But I do not ask for commitments on the spot. I don't, I don't use any of my recruitment tools, if you will, from recruitment days. Because I really want to make sure that people that join are doing it because they feel like God is leading them to this ministry. I'm not interested in people that are doing youth ministry for the wrong reasons. Um, so if you're not, if they're not interested in it for the right reasons, they're not the right people, no matter how awesome of people they might be. Um, so talk a John Mark, can you talk a little bit about what those reasons look like? Like what, yeah. in your mind, what are those reasons that they're doing it for the right reasons? That's a good question. Um, I think part of it is the ability um, to simply love students, you know. And I say that's an ability because it's not that they don't intellectually love students. I mean, as a Christian, you know, you're hoping uh, they all would say, "Yeah, I love them." Um, but there's a difference between loving them in that abstract way and actually. Enjoying them. So a leader who is not interested in actually spending time with students is not a good fit. For me, a big part of it is that sense of what is God's calling on them and what is he leading. There's lots of potentially different reasons someone might join youth ministry, uh, maybe because they feel a sense of obligation to serve and this is just the one they've chosen to do. Um, they might join because, um, you know, it seems like an easy way to make friends. Uh, that's a potential thing that someone might do. They might join youth ministry. Um, because they, you know, like there's that reality of like just the guilt factor. Maybe, you know, the, I'm sitting down with them and talking with, about youth ministry and they're just like, wow, he must need somebody. I guess I better do it. Um, and that could be negative guilt or it could be really well-intentioned. Well, I guess the church needs me, so I'm going to do it, you know, regardless of interestability or skill. Um, yeah, I think you can actually get a lot of um, young people, like college-age students who volunteer for youth ministry because they're like, I need to do something at the church and I'm 21. And so youth ministry is the place for 21 year olds to serve. And then actually they, they get this um, feedback from 
I think, broader church culture that says, like, yes, you are never more effective in youth ministry than when you are 21. And so when you are 21, you have to volunteer because this is when teenagers will listen to you. So everyone's saying, like, yes, more college-age leaders. And then college-age kids go, like, I guess this is the thing I have to do in this season of life. Sort of like that unfortunate tendency for people who are interested in being in ministry feeling like, well, I want to be a pastor one day, but I'm still young. So I guess I'll be a youth pastor for a little bit. Um, right. exactly. It'll be good training. That's right. <laughs> well, it for, will for when I do real ministry someday. <laughs> yeah. And, um, you know, I've had, you've had, I mean, you, we've all probably had memes with people where you realize like pretty quickly that they're not interested. I had, I had somebody, um, she and I, uh, had lunch talking about youth ministry and the, the short version was she was considering a career change. And one of the things she was considering was maybe a job that would involve working with youth, not in a ministry setting, but in another setting. And she said, I realized I never really, uh, interacted with youth. So I thought I should join the youth ministry team just to find out <laughs> if I like, you know, and that, you know, the, there's, that's, that's a reason. So I might want to join the team. So, um, that's why I think it's really important that as we recruit, we don't rush, we be patient, and we, we really make space for people to discern what God is calling them to. And for, for us as youth pastors to say, is this who really who God wants to bring here? I consider that a, a important thing because I'm trusting the lives of, of young men and women into their hands. And I'm, I'm expecting that they will be present in their lives in, in pastorally sensitive moments and speaking truth to them in moments of potentially pain or loneliness or doubt and questioning. I, I want to make sure that these people I'm recruiting are actually people that should be doing that. Um, which I don't mean that I put them through a rigorous theological test to make sure they have all the right answers, but that we're, we're really discerning together. Is this the right fit? Is this where God's calling you? Are you, are you someone that um, really should be involved with this ministry? And fortunately I, I will say, when I do that, it's pretty rare where I have to straight up tell someone, no, you shouldn't do youth ministry. But instead, when I communicate clearly who we are at Redeemer Student Ministries, what we're about, our philosophy of ministry, our vision, as I listen to them and talk with them and ask them questions, it usually becomes self-evident to them along the way. If they're like, yeah, that's not a fit. But we were talking earlier about our mentoring program. Um, it's one of the things I'm most excited about but it is one of the most specific requirements for my volunteers. I have very high expectations and the least tolerance for um, irresponsibility with my mentors mm -hmm. because they are very directly investing in these students' lives. And so we, we sit down and talk about like, what does it look like? I, I, I've had, I'll have like three to four different meetings and conversations with a person before we, they get to that point where they feel they really understand what we're doing and they're ready to commit. And I, because I don't pressure them uh, and I tell them like, if this is not where God wants you, that's fine. I want you where God wants you. But here's what it would mean if you are here. Yeah. Uh, I think that that helps them feel pastored as well in that process. So they're not hearing me as the recruiter, you know, or the, the Cutco salesman trying to get them to buy in. But instead, they hear me as the pastor who's caring for them and inviting them into an opportunity if they're able to make that in commitment. So, yeah, I think patience to find the right people, um, 
raising those expectations and then kind of as a outworking about quality over quantity. Like I'd rather have three really great people when I need eight than eight mediocre people. Um, because again, you can build off three, but when you have eight that are pretty mediocre, it's going to be a constant frustration on every front. Yeah. So here's, um, here's the, the question that jumps into my mind. Um, I think we got these numbers last time we met in October, uh, with, um, Stephen Ty, Canon for Youth Ministry, future guest of the show. Um, we, uh, I think 50% of ACNA churches, or maybe, it's, yeah, the, the median church size in ACNA is 65 people. Um, mm-hmm. Like, I had a friend who um, was the vicar at two churches every weekend for a bit in rural Illinois, and one brought in, like, 10 people a week, and one brought in, like, 17 people a week. Um, so when I think about his work at those churches and i think let's say you got a church let's say those churches boomed and like tripled in size you got a church of 50 people and and that church of 50 people has like a sixth grader and an eighth grader and i'm trying trying to give advice to the the vicar of that church to say like you're doing everything all at once so you need to recruit a volunteer for youth ministry who's kind of going to do both what what you're expecting your volunteers to do, but also kind of what you do as well. Like someone who's going to be involved in this mentor discipler kind of thing. We're looking for volunteers. Um, I imagine it's going to be a really hard sell to tell that, that vicar, like be really patient because it might be that he's literally talked to everybody at his church and none of them are, are quality. Um, yeah, I think that is that's the reality, right? Is there's this rubber meets the road moment of mm-hmm. okay, what if there doesn't seem to be anyone quality here? And I think what I want to be careful to say, I I can't say what would be the right decision in that moment because yeah. obviously a pastoral uniqueness to every moment. Yeah, I would simply push a little bit on the idea that the best thing to do in that situation is just to to make it happen hmm. and find somebody because. At some level, then what we're communicating is I, I'm not trusting that the Lord's going to provide. I just need to make this happen, and I think that God is bigger than our preconceived ideas of how ministry needs to look. And so, if yeah. He's not providing a person that's going to do that, then maybe part of what He's saying is that's not the way we're going to move forward right now. Um, and I also just think a danger of like, what if you do pick somebody who you know is not going to do a good job? Yeah. You are laying foundations. Lord willing for something that will last that will not be strong. Yeah. And you're going to have to, let's say two years later, you find the right person. That person has to undo two years of expectations and structure and um, kind of trajectory rather than be able to start fresh. Um, so again, avoiding saying there's a definite right answer in every situation. I would just say, yeah, sometimes it might be the hardest thing to do is wait. Uh, but that might be the best thing to do. Yeah, and I think actually the the mentoring thing is a is a fascinating component. And again, we've been plugging Engage a lot on the on the podcast. But I think that idea of like the most impactful moment for our students is actually one on one meetings with mentors. And um, I don't know how often John Mark you have your mentors meet, but I have mine meet once a month, like at least once a month. That way, that the student has a connection, and it's amazing to me. Two things. One, the the quality of people who would be terrible at 
like traditional quote unquote youth ministry things like a program who are excellent mentors. Um, like grandparents are excellent mentors. Like there's lots of people who can do such good work to just listen to someone who's younger. And the other thing, my favorite mentoring recruitment story is, um, we partner kids up at confirmation. Um, and, uh, at confirmation, one of my students had a particular adult in mind and I asked him and I said, Hey, like, there's this mentoring thing. Like, are you able? And he, he's like, no, I don't have like, that sounds awesome. I just really don't have time for it. Um, and I totally respected that and that was fine. But then the student went and asked him independently, <laughs> just walked up to said like, Hey, I want you to be my mentor. And he didn't feel like he could say no to the student. Yeah. How can you say no to that? And, and honestly, it's like the best, like they, like last summer they were like golfing every week with each other. Like it was an incredibly fruitful mentoring relationship um, that it was a high bar and the adult like assessed it and said, I can't. But then part of that is I know he's responsible enough that he wouldn't say yes and then flake out. Like he's the kind of person who, if he said yes, was going to follow through. And that's to your quality thing. Um, but I, I like, I like your comment that like, if we can't find someone to do youth ministry, maybe, maybe we need to do youth ministry in a way different than how we expect. Cause I think the biggest, um, flaw or the biggest potential pitfall for small church youth ministry is this idea that we have to do, uh, a youth ministry rather than how do, how do we use the tools and the resources our church has to love and disciple the students in our midst? Um, no, for sure. Well, I want to. I know that we might be running low on time, so I wanted, if I could, just provide three really practical tools. Yes, please. Helpful when you're like, let's say, either they've initiated a conversation with you, which happens sometimes. You're always like, praise God, this person just reached out to me and they want to join youth ministry, um, or when you're initiating a conversation with someone. I think there's just three helpful things that will help that conversation go well, and I would say um, they're all about clarity. Um, and the first one is when we're talking with someone about youth ministry and potentially being involved to have clarity about the vision for what you're doing in the ministry. Um, so that when we are talking in that, that co- over coffee or having that lunch, we can say, here's who we are and what we're about. Mm-hmm. We can communicate that clearly. Um, it's just more exciting to say, Oh, that's what this is about. And, um, you know, if you're like, Hey, I don't have, I'm not a grand Andy Stanley style visionary leader. That's okay. What are you passionate about and what is it you're hoping to do in that ministry and be clear about that and make that your message so that the first thing is not about the needs or the challenges or the problems, but it's the vision mm-hmm. that we're, this is what we're doing here. Um, I think that really helps because then um, it's exciting. It, it's a positive um, way of framing what's going on and it helps uh, volunteers to assess, is that something I'm interested in, you know? Um, I talk a lot in my meetings with potential volunteers about the importance of relationship and adult relationship and mentoring and these things that are really important to me. And then I talk about how our programs are spaces to make that possible. Um, that lets a volunteer say, you know what, I'm really just interested in playing games. And they're like, well, maybe, so maybe this is not what I want to do. Um, so clear vision. Second clear thing is that expectations we were talking about earlier. Mm-hmm. If you have clear expectations, then you follow that vision up with this is what it means to be on our team. And you can frame that in lots of different ways depending on what your teams look like. But saying this is what it looks like. This is what a volunteer does. And again, not being afraid to, to say this is what it takes. Um, 
you know, I have different levels of commitment. So I explain kind of like the different options, but I say, this is what we're looking for. This is what this means. And don't be apologetic. Just be upfront about that and invite questions. Um, so clarity about the vision, clarity about the expectations. And I just say a clear follow-up plan um, so that as you're meeting, you've met with them, you know, uh, if you just, w- the, the whole, Hey, get back to me and let me know is, is, easy for us as youth pastors because we don't have to think about it again yeah probably not the most effective so instead to clearly say hey i'm gonna even end that meeting with say hey unless i'll reach out to you next week and let's talk again just have a clear follow-up plan for how you're going to follow up with those volunteers it doesn't guarantee that they'll say yes but when we do those three things clearly it it creates the most um straightforward conversations and allows um, volunteer prospective volunteers to really understand quickly what's going on, what's expected, and uh, hopefully perfectly make a decision. Yeah. John Mark, thanks so much, man. Like this is this is pressing all of those sore parts for me in my ministry right now because I have, well, I I was going to say I have zero volunteers, but my wife has recently started helping out. But that's been, it's been a challenge. And if we had other people in our church that had said yes, uh, if I had done a better job of recruiting volunteers or if God had just provided more volunteers, um, any one of those, uh, she probably wouldn't be doing it, not because she's not interested, but just because it's really challenging for us to feel like figure out what to do with our kids right. during uh, youth group time. I feel your pain. Um, but I, I just really appreciate you coming and sharing with us and, and teaching us a little bit. And uh, it's, it's definitely got got my mind and my heart stirring um to to re to maybe uh just bring some new ideas into this whole process yeah and i think that's really important to say too like that when we don't have volunteers that's not a sign of failure mm-hmm. or that things aren't are a problem and that we've been doing it wrong um some seasons are like that in ministry and we you know we kind of have the the feast and the famine seasons and so when you're in that season of like, wow, there's no one else here and it's just us. Um, hopefully these tools might help. At the end of the day, it also might be a season that God is leading you and the church through. And I, w- I don't want anyone to walk away from this saying, well, if I don't have volunteers, that means there's something wrong with me. It might be God is doing something in this season and that's okay too. Yeah. yeah. No, I appreciate that. I appreciate that. Well, great. Well, um, as usual, uh, I don't know if anybody will ever listen to this podcast, but this has been awesome for me. So th- this is already a success in my mind. Um, <laughs> thanks again, uh, John Mark. If you have any follow-up questions, listeners, um, once we post this episode, it'll be on Facebook. Feel free to start a conversation in the comments. Um, we're soon going to be having some sort of Young Anglicans podcast social media where you can talk at us, continue conversations. Um Hopefully we'll we'll keep on talking and uh, yeah, Eric. Do you have the our closing collect today, or do you want me to do it? Uh, you go ahead. Because right. I, I yeah, I can't find it. <laughs> All right. Well, let me close uh, with uh, the common worship collect for the day. Uh, Most merciful God, who by the death and resurrection of your Son Jesus Christ delivered and saved the world, grant that by faith in Him who suffered on the cross, we may triumph in the power of His victory. Through Jesus Christ, your Son, our Lord, who is alive and reigns with you in the unity of the Holy Spirit, one God, now and forever. Amen. Amen. All right, thanks for listening. We'll see you next time.